Hey, I'm Dustin Wynn. This is Freddie Williams. This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Mendia DeFilippis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vanden. Hi, this is Lee Bermeo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fertaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 67. I'm your host, Dustin, and today we have with us... You got Josh. This is Donovan. And we are bringing you the comic reviews and comic news from the weeks of April 24th through May 7th. Not a lot of news, and we only have three books to cover, but our discussion, we are going to discuss a little bit more in-depth of an article that Josh wrote for the site, talking about trimming the bat line. So that'll be after Bat Books for Beginners. Uh, that way the podcast isn't a half hour since we have such little amount of stuff to cover. Everything, as we said in previous podcasts, has not evened out, even though uh, we may have said it has evened out because it certainly hasn't. Hopefully that'll change in the coming weeks. But again, I'm very doubtful on that. So with that, let's go over the little bit of news we've had for those two weeks. The very first thing we've got is on April 25th, the source revealed who will be teaming up with Mike Barr for the DC Retroactive 80s one-shot. It will be none other than Jerry Bingham. Bingham recently worked on the last story arc of Batman Confidential, but also teamed with Mike Barr in 1987 for Batman, Son of the Demon. So the details for the issue are artist Jerry Bingham and writer Mike Barr come together to tell the story of someone using the name, appearance, and methodology of the Reaper and is stalking the streets of Gotham City and killing off mobsters. The catch? Both men previously masqueraded as the Reaper are dead. Can Batman get to the bottom of the identity of this mysterious killer while simultaneously shepherding an untried Robin, Jason Todd? So this is going to be coming out in August, 56 pages and before 99. So the interesting thing is Jason Todd will be Robin and... We get a reteaming of a team actually from the 80s, unlike what we saw in the 70s. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I really like going back to the old era that people don't really talk about too much, where Jason Todd was Robin. It seems that they talk about just what happens after he's Robin, so it's it's always fun to go back. And and the entire idea of this sort of like retrospective DC area just has me excited, so I'm really looking forward to reading this. And because it's a team that was actually around, uh, you know, and is familiar with that era... It may not come off as hokey and forced as other quote unquote like era pieces are. Like we might actually see what Jason Todd was like as Robin in those books as opposed to like the way he's written in the flashbacks where because people who are familiar with him from his like Wikipedia page, like, oh well he was the angry Robin and he was violent, like having him be violent and angry every single panel. You know, there was more to the books than that and uh, hopefully, you know, this team, because they were around for that era, you know, will recognize that and, you know, show the books as they were. I agree. I would definitely agree with that. It'd be interesting to actually see a story that took place in that time frame. And I think the important thing is getting an artist that actually was drawing stuff back then. I think the idea with the 70s one and getting Tom Mandrake, I mean, I'm sure he can mimic the art style of that time frame. I just don't think it would would have been the same as if they got an artist from the 70s. Now, given there's not that many artists left from the 70s that were doing Batman, but I know there's at least one 
who's been struggling with their own series. Uh, Neil Adams, anyone? <laughs> you don't say. So, I don't know. It just seems like they could have done that a little bit smarter. All right, so the next thing we've got comes from April 27th. Scott Snyder talked with Newsarama about his current and future work on Detective Comics, along with a very brief discussion about Batman Gates of Gotham. So, in this interview, I will read for Newsarama, and Don will read for Scott Snyder. Readers of your work in Batman have also been raving about what you're doing, but it looks like you're wrapping things up this summer in a hurry. There are two issues shipping in July. Is that to get things done before something big that's coming up? The idea with the two issues in July is just scheduling with artists. We really wanted to finish strong. We had originally planned to be done this summer, and we just realized we needed a little more room to do it. So it was just about me giving the story the room it needed to breathe while still finishing around the time we had originally planned. And once we figured out we could do that, and with two artists, you can do an oversized finale to the story. And we realized that we would work with their schedules, that they could get it done before the fall. So you're finishing up with Detective Comics number 881? Yeah, it's going to be an oversized issue 881. It will be the finale to our big Black Mirror story. It's not like we're just doing a story arc and jumping off the book, because this, this story we've always planned to be this size. That's not to necessarily say that it's the end of our tenure on Detective or our tenure on Batman. I can't really say much about what DC has planned beyond that, but I can say that I'm super excited about it. And everyone knows I love being in Gotham. I'm extremely happy about where I'll be after we're finished with this story. But it's important for readers to know that Detective Comics issue 881 really is a culmination of all the plot threads we've been dealing with for the 10 issues leading up to that point. It's one big story with one big ending. I want to make sure people understand that. We're not hurrying up and finishing this because of our outside pressure or because the creators are moving to other books or anything like that. This ending has always been the ending we planned. Things were a little different originally because we had backups and lead features, but it was always planned to have this exact shape. This has always been what we were working toward. You mentioned some villains that are coming up, and the solicitations for July say that the Joker comes into play, right? Absolutely. The Joker is coming up in Detective number 879 and 880. It's our take on the Joker. He's as dark as you can imagine. I love the Joker as he appeared in Grant Morrison's R.I.P. story where Tony Daniel drew him as that almost goth Texas Chainsaw Massacre Marilyn Manson type of Joker. So it will be a very dark version of the Joker. He's really devious. I think it will be a fun incarnation for fans. But the Joker will play an integral part in the story. It's not just a case of bringing the Joker for fun. I'm very hesitant to bring in any character that's part of Bruce's Rhodes Gallery into the story. But he has a very important function in it in terms of the story and what secret he reveals. Let's talk about Gates of Gotham. We already discussed this book in detail with you and Kyle, but since that interview, it's been revealed at a convention that one of the guest stars in the book is Cassandra Kane. Does she play a big role? Yeah, Cassandra plays an important role in the story. She's not just a psychic or anything. She has an emotional stake in solving the mystery that is central to the story. Kyle and I are huge fans of her character, and the series was conceived with her as a part of the, from the very beginning. She's not a character we threw in lightly at all, as someone to just be a part of the cast for fun. The story, in a lot of ways, is linked to what I'm trying to do in Detective and stories that will be upcoming in the Batworld, too. It all ties into how Gotham is an adversary to Batman and the Bat family. To know Gotham is to know yourself, and Gates of Gotham is really about how you have to sort of understand Gotham's history to really have a chance to save it in the present. Its history is almost alive beneath the city in a figurative way. So Cassandra, with her whole story and heritage, and who she's been not just in terms of the Bat family itself, but in terms of her family history has tremendous ties to the history of Gotham and the mythology of the Bat. So she was an important character to use because of that. And we'll be using other characters whose families and whose stories date back 
through Gotham, like the Drakes and the Waynes and the Cobblepots and some of the other families that you associate with Gotham. We'll be exploring their historical links to it. Right. So then the interesting thing after this interview posted was there's a bunch of people on Twitter asking Scott Snyder, so uh, you're, you're leaving Detective Comics and the Batman books after Detective Comics number 881. And he specifically replied back saying, whoa, never said we were off tech or leaving Gotham or anything. Just that the story, our big 11-part Black Mirror story, is over in five. So he's not saying he's off of tech, but he's not saying he's not off of tech. I don't know where he's going to be, but I'm sure he'll stick around in the Batman universe because of... I mean, his books are getting way too big of praise to take him off of Detective Comics and move him somewhere else. I just think it would be a dumb idea. He's doing a good job, and it would be a bad move by DC Editorial to move him to somewhere else. Now, that's not to say he can't move to a different Batman book. He could do that. Just keep him in the Batman universe. Yeah, he's not going anywhere. Scott Snyder is rapidly becoming, like, sort of the successor to the Grant Morrison Batrider fame. Because since Morrison, there's not really been, in my opinion, a Batrider who's made his own indelible stamp on the Bat books. It seems like every writer had been following Grant's suit and sort of, like, trying to do what they wanted to. And Scott Snyder, he could have done this story at any time. Obviously, not any time specifically because Dick Grayson's Batman, but he's telling a great story that's just completely separate from the whole incorporated idea. And it, it's, it's really good, and, I, and we all really love it. So I doubt, seriously, we'll be seeing him leave for at least another three years at the, at the very least. I'm really excited with this news. I thought it was funny that he repeatedly said over and over again that they weren't being rushed. This is the story. This is the, the ending they want. It's almost as if he's anticipating people to either not like this story or just be really thrown for a loop as how the story ends. But at the same time, you almost get the sense that he, he can relate with the fans in terms of, like, anticipation and disappointment with the story. So it was interesting to see him sort of react in that way. Also, I'm very excited for Cassandra Kane. And the, the thing that I find interesting is it's an 11-part story. He started it in November, and he'll be finishing in July. When was the last time we actually had a bat book that came out in such a consistent amount of time that in less than a year, 11 issues were actually able to come out? Not in only a less than a year, but we're talking like nine months' time frame, he's put 11 issues out. Yes, he does have two artists, but I think that's something we really need to think about, too. He's he's consistent, and that's important. He's awesome. Scott Snyder is awesome, and he deserves the kudos we're giving him. All right, so then uh, the next bit of news we have is on May 2nd, the source revealed the artist that will team up with Alan Grant for the 90s retroactive one-shot, and it will be none other than Norm Brayfogle who we know has teamed up with uh, Alan Grant on many of occasions. So the solicitation for this one reads, Writer Alan Grant and artist Norm Brayfogle helm a tale that spins directly off the events of Detective Comics number 613 reprinted in this issue. When the ventriloquist and Scarface are released from prison after only one year, they become determined to reclaim their status in the upper echelon of Batman's rogues gallery. This will be on sale August 17th, 56 pages, 499. So... I just have to say, I'm super happy that Norm Brayfogle is going to be doing a Batman story. It's been way too long since he's done any art. Uh, I remember it's been over, I think, two years now since we interviewed him on the, the podcast. He was talking about how he's, him and Alan Grant have pitched a number of ideas to DC for different Batman projects, and none of them were ever picked up. So I'm, I'm glad to see that he's coming back to DC Comics, even if it is just for a one-shot. And hopefully the book is successful and they figure out a way to get him 
doing another story along with Alan Grant in the future. My thoughts exactly. I really enjoy um, the fact that he's returning. After hearing during that interview that there was like no immediate plans for him to come back for a long time, just the fact that he is coming back is music to Bat fans' ears. Okay, yeah, Norm Brayfogle, um, his stuff was very iconic, you know, not only in the early 90s, but, you know, somewhat before that, too. And uh, I'd say he's one of the first artists that people think of when they think of, you know, the 90s and Batman, the second one being Scott McDaniel, for me, at least. So uh, kudos on that choice, especially because of who he's teaming up with. Honestly, if they got anybody but Norm Brayfogle to team with Alan Grant, I think that would have been a kind of a missed opportunity again. I'm just glad that they've decided to not miss an opportunity for once. <laughs> for once. All right, the next thing we've got, on May 4th, Peter Calloway talked with Comic Book Resources about his run on Gotham City Sirens and what we can expect in the upcoming issues. So for this interview, I'll read for Comic Book Resources, and Josh will read for Peter Calloway. Since you are such a big fan of Paul Dini, how did you approach writing his most famous creation, Harley Quinn, especially in your current Harley-centric Hell Hath No Furry arc? Well, I approach it by, you know, uh, starting a storyline and taking a break for three months. That's uh, how I do it. <laughs> you know, reading the first set of issues that Dini did, and when Harley had her own book, when she was introduced and first came in from the animated series, and in that first issue, she manipulated Batman. I always thought that was the core of her ability. That's what she's good at, and it comes from her therapy background. It was always something I wished, as a fan, they concentrated more on. So, on Gotham City Sirens, I got the opportunity to really show what makes Harley Quinn a villain and why she is so good at what she does. And in my view, the Joker is in love with Harley. He's in love with himself, but he's in love with her, too. So maybe he's in love with her only because he sees her as an extension of himself. He's obviously a narcissist, but I think that there has to be a mutual respect thing there. There has to be something he sees in her, and I think her ability to manipulate people is an important part of the character. So that's something I thought could be showcased here. As she breaks into Arkham and as she's manipulating people using her knowledge, she doesn't have Poison Ivy's supernatural abilities, and she's not as good of a fighter as Selena is, or as sneaky or stealthy. What she has is manipulation. She has these mental games she's good at playing. Actually, not to give too much away, but coming up, there's a great manipulation in issue 24, and I think that's at the core of her ability. It certainly was impressive that she was able to break into famous, heavily guarded Arkham Asylum with only a flower, a rusty nail, and a handful of marbles. How did using trump cards get into Arkham come to mind? I was looking for a way to do that, and grounded physically. I'm a big Warren Ellis fan, and there's a great issue of Planetary where they find these trophies of analogs for Wonder Woman, Superman, Green Lantern, etc. As I do sometimes when I try and find inspiration, I flip through all the comics I have, and the ones I really love, and that stuck out to me and struck a chord. Sometimes in the back of my brain, a few weeks later, I realized, oh, it's objects. I love the idea that Harley had these and has the ability to know these things. It was fun to write, but it was terrifically hard. That was probably the hardest issue of Gotham City Sirens I've written. In terms of breaking in, in terms of forcing that much story into such a short period of time, and that was pretty soon after DC cut the other two pages out, so that made it even tougher. Is there a trump card for Ivy? There is, and it's something that we explore in issue 24. It's one of those things that is right there. It's not obvious, but it's right there in front of us. It's something that's intrinsic to her character. Unlike Selina, her loyalty is two things, Plants and Harley, and the purpose of this arc is to tear that apart and re-examine that. There have been a couple of different artists filling in since you started. Is Andres now the permanent Gotham City Sirens artist? Yes, as far as I understand he is. We had Jeremy Hahn for issue 18, and since 19 through 20, I know Andres is doing them, and I think he's 
Spain on after that. He's fast, too, and the pages come out great. What more could you ask for an artist? All right, so I defer to my colleagues. <laughs> okay. It was really hard to put that much action into, like, that little of space. That two-part story of Harley breaking into Arkham was, like, the most padded thing ever. Like, you could have told, like, that in, like, three pages, like, in a pre-title sequence. Like, her breaking into Arkham. It was hard, and that was, like, hard for him to write, and, like, it was, like, too much... Okay. And it really speaks to, you know, the status of the book when the guy who's the writer of it isn't even 100% sure who the current artist is supposed to be. I think that has to do with the fact that uh, ever since Gillian Marge has left the title, it's just been jumping over here and there. And I don't I don't necessarily blame him for not knowing because I'm sure he just submits the stories. I'm sure this is one of those books where it's not like, oh, okay, here's the definitive creative team we're going to have on the book. We're going to just... I think it's more of a, all right, so we've got so-and-so writing, let's find an artist who can draw his stories. Yeah, but you would think that, like... If you ask the writer... Not all writers, you know, have this ability to write a story and specifically pair with an artist so that the artist can tell the writer's story a lot better than... Sometimes there's just the generalized artists. Yeah, but they usually know who their artist is. You know, when you say, um, so is this guy the current artist of the comic book that you're writing? Usually you get an answer better than, "Mm, I guess. Well, the first part of the interview with uh, Callaway, I just disagree with his outlook on Harley. I really don't think she's that manipulative. I mean, I suppose she can be to a certain extent, but I honestly think that he's giving the character a lot more credit than she initially was intended to have. And you can call that character uh, character development or whatever. I just disagree with that, but that's that's not really even the point. The whole Hell Half No Fury arc, I agree with like everyone on this podcast. It was a waste of time. I just don't see Harley as that manipulative, and I felt that the whole thing was really forced. It was padded to here and back, and I honestly really think that it was a complete waste of time. I mean, again, I think Peter Calloway had good intentions and really tried to make a good story, and we just fell on the side that we didn't like it. But it it does say something where it says that it was difficult and hard, because it obviously showed in the writing how much he had to write with. And really, when you can sum up the story in like a, a sentence or two sentences and saying how, how difficult that is to extend, that that probably should say that you probably shouldn't have written the story at all. Now, I have to say, I didn't actually mind this story. I, just, I didn't dislike it, I guess, like you guys. I didn't think it was an amazing story, but I didn't think it was a horrible story either. Yes, it could have been summed up very easily in a matter of sentences for the two complete arcs. And unlike what you just said, Don, I think the idea of Harley being manipulative would be interesting in comparison to her just being the dumb henchwoman for Joker because, yes, that's that might be why she was created, but I'd like to have the character have a little bit more dimension than, oh, Mr. J. <laughs> personally, I just, I think, well, what's the point of even having the character around if that's all she's going to do is just be the henchwoman for Joker? You know, we can get Punch and Judy to come back and that stupid uh, Gagglesworth guy to come back yeah gaggy gagglesworth we can have them come back if we really wanted the joker to have henchwomen and henchmen just to add the dimension the whole point of this character is to add more of a dimension i think that story the reason why i don't think it was as good as it could have been was we all saw where it was going we saw that obviously she was going to completely 
forget the fact that she was going there to kill the Joker, that she wasn't going to kill the Joker, and it was going to turn into her helping the Joker escape then, which actually hasn't happened, but we know that's where it's headed. And that's, that's the thing that made the story kind of pointless. If it had a different ending, it wasn't, oh, she's going to just completely do a complete 180 and she's no longer going to be ticked off at the Joker and she's just going to melt in his arms, that would have been interesting. I think that's why the story was not as good. I thought the art was really good, especially some of the pages where they had the flashback of her memories of the Joker and how as they got further back, they got more you know, distorted. And I thought the art attributed to that very well. But yes, the story was not like a story that I will remember in probably six months. But I don't think it was horrible. I just think that they could have done a better job at making the ending a little bit better so it wasn't so predictable. You know, that, that's more than fair. It's just a difference of opinion. And I, 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 mean, I don't think I really hated the story. I, I just felt that um, it was it, it could have either been done better or I just didn't really care for it. It was a series of repeated events. Like, I'm going to get past this guard by showing him a blanket. Now I'm going to get past the inside guard by showing him a pillowcase, you know, which, like, because I know from my days at Arkham that pillowcases make him crap his pants, or I can't say, that pillowcases make him pee his pants and run away crying. And now I'm going to get past this guard by showing him a symbol from Monopoly, because that's his one weakness, and he killed his baby. Now I'm going to kill the Joker. Oh, wait, no, I'm not. Like, she's just showing people stuff and making them upset, like, throughout the... Well, you, you, you can all listen to a few episodes ago to hear our extended thoughts on that. You sure can. All right, let's get into our last bit of news. On May 6th, Newsroom posted an interview with Brian Azzarello, who is writing the miniseries following Batman set in the Flashpoint universe starting in June. So for this interview, I will read for Newsrama, and Don will read for Brian Azzarello. Did Eduardo design a lot of the characters we'll see in Flashpoint Batman Night of Vengeance? Andy Kubert designed Batman. Eduardo and I came up with the supporting characters. Everybody other than the design of Batman. This Batman is obviously in a very different world, but is he still the same basic character? Oh, no, he's different. I think this Batman is a little bit more of a badass than we've seen before. And that includes when I've written Batman, even though I've written some badass Batman stories. This Batman is older. He's much more angry. He's not the brilliant detective. He's still the brilliant tactician. I think he's even called that in Flashpoint. But he's much more of a pragmatic individual. His motivations come from a different place, and how he acts on them is not what you expect from Batman. And he's not just a casino owner in Gotham, but a crime fighter, too. He's even a bigger crime fighter of Gotham City, but being a crime fighter has sworn on this guy more. Taking on crimes has left him sort of morally bankrupt. He runs a casino because he's funding his war. So there are gangsters and everybody hanging out in his casino, but he's using the money that they're losing against them. He uses the casino to fund this war. And this is a very different Gotham than the Gotham City we're used to seeing. For example, the police force in Gotham has been privatized by him. He approaches fighting crime in a much more pragmatic way. What we see other characters from Gotham show up, characters we know from Batman's universe. Oh yeah. Like I said, that's the fun of working on this, is seeing how this world has changed the people in Gotham City. What's Gordon like, for example? You know, because he's in it. It's looking at these characters through a prism. I would assume that if Batman is different, then the Joker's different. Joker's very different. <laughs> yeah, you will see him. Are you dealing with the rest of the Bat family? A little, not a lot. But you'll see the villains. Come on, you, kn- you guys know I like the villains. Alright, so that's the end of that interview. Now, we won't be reviewing the miniseries here on the podcast, 
but uh, Joe will be reviewing it on the website along with Melinda. They're going to be tag-teaming the, the whole Flashpoint event and covering everything that has to do with Batman in the series. Needless to say, it sounds as if Batman in this Flashpoint universe is going to be interesting. Whether or not everything that happens during Flashpoint you know, has some kind of end outcome that is has a point in the actual normal continuity of the DC universe will be a whole other thing. But I like the idea of a different kind of Batman. Uh, you know, I, I, I enjoyed reading some of those Elseworlds back in the day. And this is just kind of like an updated version that spans the entire DC universe at once. Whenever he was describing this, it, it just kind of sounded like Dark Knight Returns to me. And maybe it's because everyone's trying to say, oh, this is a different Gotham City, or this is a different Batman, or this is a different Gordon. That's sort of like a line that we hear a lot that is sort of wearing on me, and I'm not really buying into it. It's sort of like a, I really need to see before I make a decision on whether it is or not. So the interview kind of felt hollow to me. I like the idea of Batman owning a casino, you know, like calling people into the back room and breaking their legs for counting cards. That would be amusing. It is funny how Batman has privatized uh, the police department. I find that kind of interesting just because Batman is forming his own elite police force around the world in the normal continuity. But one of the things I'm kind of interested in is, you know, with all these changes that are going to be happening, it's only three issues. Three issues of a miniseries, and I'm sure that some of the Batman stuff will play out in the normal series because they're saying it's not just a Flash story, but it's a Flash and Batman story. I don't know how much more of like Gotham City and the villains and all that stuff is going to play outside of the miniseries, but it's only three issues. So how much can we really see of this alternate universe, whatever it's going to be, in three issues. That's that's my concern. Honestly, have you ever heard of House of M? Um, yeah, it was, okay. it was, yeah, it was a storyline in Marvel um, about maybe five or six years back. God, I can't believe it's been that long. And it sounds like this is kind of like that, where there was a reality, like, you know, altering event. In this case, it was uh, the Scarlet Witch, where, like, she reshaped reality. And for a few months, like, each book had a miniseries, like X-Men House of M, Spider-Man House of M, um, Iron Man House of M where, like, it would be, like, a series where, like, each character in their own world, and that's what this is reminding me of. Like, you know, it would have Spider-Man as a millionaire, and, you know, but he was also, like, his, like, schizophrenic, and he was also, like, the Green Goblin in his reality, too, and each, like, character had a miniseries exploring, like, what the world was like for them, and it was a tie-in to the regular House of M series, and then at the end of the series, reality went back to normal, and everyone went about their business. That's kind of what this Flashpoint thing is sounding like. Now, that being said, we haven't read it yet, so I could be wrong. But it, it's kind of the vibe I'm getting from this. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it could be something similar. I, I mean, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to pick up the miniseries, probably end up reading the the Flashpoint series, even though I won't be picking it up, but I'll probably read it just to see what's actually going on. It has me interested more so than... Brightest Day and Blackest Night did, but I don't I don't really know why other than the fact that it's just this alternate type of universe. So that is all of our news. Let's jump into our first comic review with uh, Batman Beyond number five. It's too heavy. Look out!
we start off with uh, Paxton Powers, son of uh, Blight, you know, one of the villains in the series. And uh, he's in jail, you know, minding his own business, reading his little, I guess, iPad, you know, because you get those in jail now instead of books. When the little intercom warden says, oh, guess what, you know, you're out. And he's like, uh, my parole's not for another seven months. Yeah, don't ask me, you're out. Meanwhile, um, in the Wayne Power building, there's a riot going on with the workers' union, and uh, Terry's, as Batman is, you know, helping to break it up with some tear gas as Bruce is talking, and he's like, there's no way that my workers can't be happy. Check to see if they're mind-controlled or something. He's like, no, uh, for some reason, they are uh, fully to their senses. So this does not sit well with Bruce. They're aware of of, uh, Paxton getting out of jail, and... Somebody named Godfrey heading up the union, and Wayne thinks that he's up to no good. So Bruce pays him to visit himself, and, you know, Bruce has a talk with him and, you know, tries to read the guy and says, oh, well, I think you're connected to this, this, and this. And he's like, nope. So Bruce tells him that, you know, he gives him an offer. He says, tell me who you're working for, and I won't take you apart piece by piece. The guy laughs at him and says, huh, you're a riot. You should come to the negotiations. I'll give you a bagel sometime. So Bruce leaves kind of mad. Terry's not happy either because he meets with Dana and she dumps him, you know, for the usual reasons that a superhero girlfriend dumps a superhero. He's never around. He was late for this thing and that thing, and, you know, she can't stand waiting around for him all the time. Dana's brother, Doug, is home from jail, and while Dana's mom is, like, really, really happy to see him, Dana reluctantly hugs him but looks like it's the last place in the world she wants to be. So he's up to no good. We're going to find out about that later. Terry goes to investigate some of the stuff with Paxton, but uh, Bruce tells him that it's a trap when he goes into a warehouse, which explodes. As it explodes, uh, Light is looking out a window, saying, oh, it's a pity I had to sacrifice my son. Oh, well, you know, time to destroy Wayne, Gotham, Batman, and all that stuff. I'll be back in business. As he stands out the window wearing some sort of a radiation containment suit that I don't remember him wearing this on the show, with a henchman behind him wearing a similar suit, Next issue is called Industrial Disease, and we'll talk about that in Batman Beyond issue six. All right, so Batman Beyond number five. Overall, I think this story kind of was uh, a break from pace of what we've been getting in the in the books recently, specifically because it seems as if they're trying to pick up a new story arc, which I, I understand that, but it seems as if they're not really, like, picking up very quickly. It's like a slow build to the end of the book, which shows Blight returning, and then we have, you know, we know that Blight's going to be in the next issue. And Adam Beechin's done this before. He did this with the Hush miniseries, where the first two issues were building up towards something, but we didn't know what until we saw the end of issue two of that miniseries. I don't really enjoy that. I, I'd rather either hit the ground running like we saw in Batman and Robin, the last story arc where we see something happening in the first issue. Whether or not we know what's going on, it's that's irrelevant. We can be built up to what they need us to know as the arc progresses, but they can start off with something a little bit better. I don't like not knowing who some of these characters are. I think it's odd to add characters who were not in the TV show and not in comics history to this, the thing and not let us know what's going on. The whole Dana Tan's brother thing is kind of annoying to me because the entire time I'm thinking to myself, I don't remember this character from the, the TV show. I've watched the series numerous times, every episode, and I never remember this character. Am I supposed to know this character? I don't know. I don't think so. 
So <laughs> things, it's things like that. Like it's great that he he plays into bringing characters from the the comics and the TV show all together and really like building up the universe of Batman Beyond. I think that's great. But then when you bring in a character that is not from either one of the incarnations of Batman, it kind of demisses what you're trying to accomplish here. You're expanding the universe outside of characters that we already have, even though we have more characters than you could possibly imagine. The one other thing I found kind of interesting was the uh, the Gordon Godfrey reference, specifically because there was a character in Smallville recently that was called Gordon Godfrey. Didn't really think of anything of it, but when Bruce Wayne described him in the book, it reminded me exactly of Gordon Godfrey from Smallville, because I wasn't familiar with him in the comics, but then I found out as time as I did a little research that he actually is, he was in the comics as well. So that was a cool little bit, and I like those bits. I don't like the bits where we get characters I've never heard of before in my life, so <laughs> I don't think this issue is really great. The art was better than last issue, but at the same time, I there's nothing really special about it, so... Book overall, Batman Beyond number five, I'm going to give two out of five batterings. I like part where Terry was breaking up the riot, and Bruce said to him, check them for mind controllers if they're brainwashed. And Terry kind of had to break it to Bruce that, you know, it is possible that his workers might not be entirely happy with the situation there. Actually, that whole plot with, you know, Godfrey, you know, maybe pulling some strings with the workers' union in Wayne Enterprises, that is a bit interesting, and it's not something that you normally see uh, in some of the Batman books, you know, the goings-on with Wayne Enterprises and how it's affecting Batman and bleeding into his world as Bruce Wayne. I like that kind of stuff. Had no clue who Dana's brother was, which I guess I can't fault them for making up a character that wasn't on the show. But, you know, um, I have, I, I, for a Batman fan that I am, I actually have very limited experience with Batman Beyond, so I did have to ask um, if this character was from the show or not. I think it's all pretty obvious to everyone that, yes, Terry did survive the explosion at the end. Could they have come up with a better cliffhanger? Yeah, I guess so, but it was all right. The art was a bit inconsistent in some places, though. I am going to give this uh, two and a half out of five batterings. I actually like this issue better than I have other issues in the past because one of the reasons I, I've always felt that this series was lacking is because it just does not focus on Terry. And for a little bit it did. I mean, we see a return of like one of his worst enemies in Blight in the last page. Dana breaks up with him, which isn't new, but I mean, it's something that he can concern himself with. And I sort of like the rela- relationship between him and Bruce. Bruce is like, something buggering you? He's like, yes. And then there's a beat and he's like, aren't you going to ask me what is wrong? He's like, no. <laughs> So I thought that was kind of cool. It's pretty much the same as it's always been. I mean, I like it for this series, but I wouldn't want to see it in any other series, which I guess, I suppose it's mixed praise. Yeah, Dana's brother is a new character. I don't really mind that because it's par for the course with this sort of thing. As long as we're given a reason to care. It sort of seems like they're doing the whole James Gordon Jr. thing where he's like, hello, sister, I've missed you so much, and everybody's really nervous around him. So apparently he's been, he has his history as a serial killer, but we'll find out sooner or later. I, mean, I, I thought this was a pretty interesting issue. I just hope that they, they start... I mean, my, my usual response is always, always, please focus on Terry more. And that they did, I, I liked it better than the other one, so I'll give it a three out of five batterings. All right, so that's going to give Batman Beyond number five, two and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batman Incorporated number five. And Bruce Wayne, why are you dressed up like Batman? Because he is Batman, you moron. Was. Batman Inc. number five. 
Written by Grant Morrison, illustrated by Yannick Biquette. Just, just prefacing this for a bit, this issue is a Grant Morrison classic in that I don't know what's happening. So I will do my best. And if you do know what's happening, please uh, email and write us in. Thatmanuniverse.net. This issue starts off with the, the capture of El Sombrero as Batman's basically watching El Gacho uh, beat El Sombrero to a pulp. But he says, you know, the, the children are safe, so we need to find out where Scorpiana is. We then cut to who, who an old man who, after a flashback sequence, is telling a younger man that he is Dr. Didalus and that he is on his way to initiate, from what I can surmise, is a deadly doomsday bomb that will destroy a whole lot of people. He also hints that he poisoned the man's uh, apple, so that will preface a nasty fate for him, which will happen near the end of the issue. We are then introduced to a new character um, who is called Azrael. Huh. Did I say Asriel? I'm going to say the hood because that's, that's his name. But he looks exactly like Asriel, down to the red cape, uh, mask, and cross symbol. He's gotten the drop on by Batwoman, even though he figures out that someone's um, snuck up on him. And Batwoman threatens that he is on the tail end of a laser in space, so he can't harm her. He says that he, all of his weapons are non-lethal, and that he's investigating a mystery that took out four British superheroes, which was referenced in two issues ago back in Batman Inc. number 3. After they are set upon by robotic scorpions, they are saved by Batman and El Gacho. And while El Gacho and the Hood have a, a racial standoff, the four of them are set upon by Scorpiana. Together, Batwoman, the Hood, and El Gacho take down Scorpiana. They figure out that Kathy Kane is, is in the middle of all this. Yeah. Batman checks down the young man and Dr. Daedalus into the nearby compound, and the young man collapses from the poison apple. Batman sets the Batplane to, to blow up the compound, stopping the bomb from going off. Batman activates the Batplane to destroy the compound, which destroys the bomb that, they were, that Dr. Dillis was trying to set off. They also capture the, the old man and take off his uh, diamond gauntlets. And through that, we reveal that the real Dr. Dillis is appearing through Batman and says that he has a nasty fate in store for him. We then cut back to a preceding prologue where somewhere in an African Middle Eastern country, we see a man dressed in an electronic Batman suit being chased by guards with guns and knocking one through a, a school, a classroom. His name is David, and Batman welcomes him to Bat Batman Incorporated, saying that they have some work to do. Next issue, Batman Inc. World Tour, the end. All right, Batman Incorporated, number five. Yes, this issue was all over the place. I, I think I understood it a little bit better than Don. I kind of got the idea of what they were going for, except for those last couple pages where we cut to Africa and this guy in a suit that looks like it's a Blue Beetle suit with a Batman theme. That was the thing that kind of threw me off because I didn't understand how that happened where it did. But then when I think about it, we kind of saw that in the past with the last couple pages leading into the next story of the next issue, and that's kind of the idea. I think the whole idea is that they're trying to get across that all of these people that Batman keeps finding as he's looking for these members of Batman Incorporated, all of these villains that are basically the main villains for these new Batman Incorporated hirees, I guess you could call them, all these villains work for somebody higher up. And the original idea was a lot of these people were working for Decedulous, but the whole idea is that Decedulous is actually working for this whatever it is leviathan we've referenced that in the past in interviews and uh at the conventions because some of the bat writers have been talking about this ultimate thing that everything's leading to with this leviathan we don't know what it is but 
that's what it's all leading to. And it's this ultimate war, and that's why it's so important to have all of these Batman, these Batmen. So I, I guess that's the idea that they're trying to go across. I'm looking more towards the, the next issue just because I think we're going to see a lot more of these Batmen that we haven't been introduced to. Based on the cover of Six, we're also going to see possibly the new uh, incarnation of Barbara Gordon as this digital Batgirl. We'll see what happens with that, but I couldn't think of anything else while I was reading this issue other than, oh, this isn't issue six. Darn it. Because that's what I'm looking forward to is issue six, because I want to see these Batman evolve all over the place, and that's that's what we've been told we're going to be seeing. So I guess I go back to, why did Yannick McKett come back for one issue? Why did that whole thing happen with Chris Burnham? doing the the one issue in between Yannick Biquette's run, that I find a little annoying. I still don't understand why that happened, other than there might have been some timing issue, but it just doesn't make any sense, because you would assume Yannick Biquette was not drawing five all, all at the same time. He would have been drawing four. So I don't understand that. So that kind of throws me off as far as in the art department, just because we go from one artist to the other artist, back to the artist, back to the other artists for issue six. So that's going to be a little bit concerning when we read issue six and relate to the art. But uh, I don't think this was a horrible issue. I think the problem is that Morrison is just trying to tell too much story in, in too few pages. You'll notice there's a lot more text in these pages than we've seen, than even we saw when he was on Batman Robin. And I think that might be having to do a little bit with the fact that the stories have been cut down in pages because the issues have been cut down in size, or he's not going to be doing this story as long as he's trying to get a lot more into what's going on. Or there's some ultimate plan as to, you know, maybe once the fall rolls around where nobody's talking about anything that's happening this fall, this Leviathan is going to kick off and they're trying to get these things going. Other than that, don't really have anything more. Three and a half out of five batterings. Well, this wasn't as bad as last issue. <laughs> I mean, after last issue, I was really, really anticipating, you know, how they were going to follow up because there was some lingering questions and some lingering thoughts, you know. There was a lot of theories online that, oh, maybe Kathy Kane is still alive and she's Lady Scorpiona, and who was that mysterious Batwoman uh, dressed in the Kathy Kane costume that Kate Kane unmasked and said, oh, I knew it was you all along, so... I was dreading some of those revelations, and really, okay, Lady Scorpiona wasn't Kathy Kane, which is good. I was really disappointed that we didn't get the identity of the fake Batwoman, cause, especially because of all the speculation online leading up to it, and is it Betty Kane or not, but I guess that's just an ancillary part of the story. Otherwise, the art was good. I had no clue what was going on, and it wasn't until reading this for the second time that I realized that that Crusader guy was not as real. You know, could... Could you get him a different costume? You know, we're already trying to keep our Batman straight because we have multiple Batman. Like, did, come on, Mike Mars. You had to have caught this and been like, gee, he has a costume just like Azrael. Maybe we should change the costume or something, you know, so that it isn't redundant or confusing. I mean, just a thought. I mean, of course, you know, why worry about redundancy after all that Kane stuff that happened last issue with the redundancy? So, but anyway... I had no clue what was going on, so it's really hard to give this a fair rating. And quite frankly, it's a little embarrassing because we are supposed to be, you know, the Batman reviewers, the Batman podcasters, the authorities. 
So we should have a, brace, a basic reading comprehension of uh, Grant Morrison's Batman stories. But we don't. So for that, should I fault myself or should I fault Grant Morrison? This time I'm going to fault Grant Morrison and give it two and a half out of five batterings. Yeah, like Josh, as uh, vitriolic and spiteful as we were against uh, the last Batman Inc. issue, it was definitely something to talk about. So I was also anticipating like what was going to happen in this one. And I suppose that's like what comics are intended to do, for better or for worse. This wasn't a bad issue once I read it for four times, because it did take me that many times to understand what's going on, and I never did. So if Dustin figured out what's going on better than I did, then ser- seriously, kudos to him, because I really didn't. And that kind of frustrates me about Grant Morrison. I mean, when I can follow the stories, they're really, really good, but this title... It's supposed to be having Batman go across the world recruiting several other new people for his Batman Incorporated group. And then we get this random issue about Kathy Kane and it's this this whole laundry list of retcons and basically like nearly – I'm not going to say destroying but nearly upending a lot of Batman's past history. And then the next issue, we get name drafts of her but it's like a completely different plot. And I really don't appreciate that in a, in a storytelling sense. I mean there needs to be continuity and it feels like it was a complete – almost rip-off because it goes from one story to the next. And I, I'm, call, I'm putting the Kathy Kane issue in the, in the same line because it wasn't what the title promised in this early in its run. I don't know what's going on. I don't know who the Batman uh, character is at the end. And I honestly don't see where all this is, is like, is how all this is connected. I'm glad to see Yannick Paquette back because I really am enjoying his art. But it was almost disconcerting that he was on this title after Chris Burnham did the last issue. I mean, they're both good artists, but the changeup is so abrupt, you almost get whiplash. And it's almost, all, all of these things are sort of really uh, hampering in on the, on the actual content of the issue. Now, I didn't know what was going on, so I mean, it's not like I really, really enjoyed this. But some of the dialogue was good. I really like Batman's line about how there's no such thing as security. I thought it was a really cool Batman line for him to say. But really, I mean... This issue, I'm beginning to fall in line with the idea that Grant Morrison does really write stories for himself. And I don't want to do that because that's presumptuous and that's not fair to such a great writer. But this issue really did make me warm to his writing style as I typically am. So I'm giving this two out of five better ranks. Alright, so that is going to give Batman Incorporated number five, two and a half out of five better ranks. Let's move into our next Issue and our final issue, which is Detect Comics number 876, written by Scott Snyder with art by Jacques. Riddle me this, dynamic dull heads. What have the following in common? Hemming, basting, purling, and tagging. <laughs> we start off with a little bit of an overview of the Gotham Global Modern Bank, a little bit of a back history. Started off only a couple years ago, it's one of the largest and fastest growing banks in the almost the entire world. We find out that uh, 8 a.m. in the morning when the bank opens, the employees walk inside to find a giant killer whale dead inside of the bank lobby. We then cut to the crime lab that was donated by the Wayne Foundation to the Gotham City Police, where Commissioner Gordon and Dick Grayson are there examining the whale to try to figure out how exactly and where exactly this whale came from. Determined that the uh, whale was a pet at some point, and they're trying to figure out what it is. At some point, uh, they start talking about the bank, and Gordon tells Dick Grayson that uh, the person who owns the bank 
is none other than Sonia Branch. Who's Sonia Branch? Well, it turns out Branch is the name she changed it to. Her real last name was Zuko. Uh, she changed her name from Zuko because her father was Anthony or Tony Zuko. And uh, that, as we know, was the uh, person who killed Dick Grayson's parents. Uh, we then have a little bit of exchange between Gordon and Dick Grayson talking about how Gordon's son is in town and Gordon would prefer if Dick Grayson met with him just because he can't really see this, uh, this situation clear mind and he's hoping that Dick can see something that he can't. We then uh, see the whale burst open and out falls a body. Turns out that body is none other than Sonia Branch's personal assistant. Batman decides to go take a trip to see her to see if she has anything, any information. She says she can't talk about it because she doesn't know anything. She's already talked to the police. Uh, She slams the door. Uh, Suddenly she picks up the phone and calls somebody and says, Listen, I've had enough. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And as it turns out, there's a bat tracker slash listening device on the window that picked up the entire thing. Batman traces the call to somebody known as Bixby Rhodes, who runs a very high-end car dealership in Gotham. A lot of customized cars, very expensive. But uh, recently, there's been information that he could be running a uh, gun smuggling operation with the vehicles that he's bringing in. Out of nowhere, a bunch of... uh, People start opening fire on Batman. Batman ends up running into a small space. Turns out it's a uh, metal compactor slash car compactor. We see Bixby Rhodes talking to somebody else and saying, well, looks like uh, we had a little too much inventory, so let's reduce some. Start the crusher. And when we see Batman inside the crusher as it begins crushing. Next story, the Roadrunner. All right, Detective Comics number 876. Overall, this issue was good. I, the, the downfall is that uh, after the amazing James Gordon story last month, this wasn't nearly as good, but I get the idea. You know, One, we can't have James Gordon in every issue, especially since that was initially supposed to be the co-feature of the book. Uh, I get that, but this was definitely not as high profile as the last story. We're clearly introducing some new characters into the story with this Bixby Rhodes, as well as the Sonia Branch slash Sonia Zuko. Um, it's interesting to see Snyder expanding his stake of the Batman universe a little further. The art was good. Jacques' art's always good. I don't think it served the same kind of feel that uh, Francisco Francavilla did in the last issue, but I think that that was more because Francisco does an amazing job of making James Gordon seem just ridiculously creepy, which was the whole point. There's not a need for that with this. We just need good art to go with the good story. So overall, I think this was a good issue. I don't think it was as good as the last issue, but that's not to say anything less. They're clearly starting this next part of their overall story. They're trying to tell with this Black Mirror. So... Great story. I'm going to give it three and a half out of five batterings. This was really, really good. Um, probably one of my favorite detective comics ones in a while. Even scenes where it's just characters sitting around giving exposition to each other, like Dick Grayson and uh, Jim Gordon in the beginning, those scenes are still enjoyable. And actually, you know, with all the stuff going on in the Bat books lately, you know, it's very rare that we have a scene like, you know, just something like, casual, you know, a conversation thing between 
two characters who have been around as long as Jim Gordon and uh, Dick Grayson. You know, characters that have, like, you know, a long history together. I mean, you know, Dick, you know, was engaged to his daughter at one point. You know, these two had been through a lot, and it's nice to see them, you know, spending some time together where it's not, you know, him in the back cow at the office, you know, talking about Joker trying to poison a reservoir or something. And that's one thing, that not only this issue, but the last few issues, too, Scott Schneider has been really, really good at exposition scenes where it's just, you know, you know, characters talking to each other, setting up the plot. I like Batman's interrogation. It's weird calling Dick Batman still after all these years, but... Batman's interrogation of Sonya Zuko and, you know, him being disappointed hearing that she is involved in this and that, you know, Gotham corrupts people no matter what because he was really hoping that that apple had fallen far from the tree. And even though we don't deal with the James Gordon Jr. stuff, this issue directly, you know, there is some setup for it. And it actually has me excited for, you know, what the scene between Dick Grayson and James Gordon Jr. is going to be, which I'm hoping we'll get next issue. You know, the art was good, as it's always been. The writing's been good. Five out of five batterings, A+. Plus. Uh, I'll fall sort of in the middle. Um, I really enjoy this issue as well. I mean, Scott Snyder, he's, he is such a miracle to the Batman books, uh, in my opinion. Not to say that they've ever been bad, really, but, like, not only does he tell really scary, gripping, chilling stories, but he also gets the continuity mostly right, not all the time right, but... Like Josh was saying, the sense of familiarity and the casual relatability with Gordon and Dick, that felt believable. That felt right. And so it is a joy to see that in an era where a lot of things just get wrong randomly. My favorite part of the book was that one page where you see Batman like just like falling out of the sky. And this is how you know it's Dick Grayson, just because of the way he acrobatically flips through the sky. And uses just uses like the cape and the costume to sort of like descend to his fall. That was a really good piece of artwork. I really enjoyed Jock's artwork in this issue. I think in the past I said that while I didn't hate it, I thought that the way he drew Dick Grayson was a little strange. I liked it here, and I really, really enjoyed the way he draws Dick Grayson's Batman because you can tell it's basically Nightwing in the Batman costume, like his body language and everything. The story was fine. It's another it's another set to, to uh, get us ready for Gates of Gotham, and. It was very straightforward. I mean, you can see the story anywhere, but the way it was told was enjoyable enough. So I'm going to give this a strong four out of five batterings. Good stuff, as always, from Scott Snyder and Jock. All right, so that is going to give Detective Comics number 876 four out of five batterings. So that is all of our reviews. So let's throw over to Nick with Bat Books for Beginners. Welcome to another edition of Bat Books for Beginners. My name is Nick, and welcome back. Today I am looking at a book called Penguin Triumphant. This is written by John Ostrander, who wrote the last book I reviewed, Gotham Knights, and he's also credited with the recasting of Barbara Gordon, former Batgirl, into the information and computer specialist Oracle. The art is by Joe Staten, who's also worked on the Huntress series. This book was published in 1992 as a one-off issue, and it seems it may have been to coincide with the release of the film Batman Returns, which of course featured Mr. Cobblepot. So let's see how the Penguin's uh, faring, and uh, whether we're going to get an interesting story featuring a rather uh, classic Batman villain. I admire that in a man with a mask. 
take your win, do you? Things change. So the story starts off with the penguin fantasizing about a fancy British party that he attends as a gentleman thief, getting the girl, escaping the law, and stealing the jewels. It's a very old-fashioned penguin we see here. But the penguin decides to reform and uh, become a good citizen whilst he's in prison. He makes a deal with an old school friend to manipulate the stock markets and make a fortune in the process. Penguin starts hanging around the fancy social clubs and meets an old girlfriend from school who he paid to go out on the prom with him. We learn that she's a gold digger and starts going out with the penguin again as a result. Penguin attends a Wayne function and whilst there offers to buy a Wayne Manor, Bruce decides to let the penguin live there temporarily and claims he is off travelling. Unfortunately, Alfred has a stay and tend to the penguin. Bruce does this as he is concerned that the penguin may be able to learn of Batman's identity if he spends too much time with him. Turns out the gold digger and old school friend are working together to find out Penguin's secret stock market plans, and once they are discovered, Penguin is targeted. After a failed assassination that Batman has thwarted, we learn that the Penguin did all this to ruin his childhood friend's life. After ruining um, his own childhood, so the Penguin was just after this old friend. This isn't a movie, you know. I'm a legitimate businessman now. I don't want to draw attention to myself. I can't afford to have my associates getting Batman all excited. But he loved it. I know he lives for the chase, and I was the best he ever had. Ever been pursued by a bird of prey? Sorry, Pengy. Some things are just too scary, even for me. I thought the dream sequence was a little bit strange. It had a, this UK twist on Batman, with Batman as a police constable and Commissioner Gordon with a British accent, but it was a little bit bizarre, but quite interesting. I thought it was interesting that uh, everyone seems to underestimate the Penguin. Bruce says he's dangerous, uh, that he's the most brilliant uh, villain he's ever fought, and he has a fixation on this intellectual duel with Batman. I didn't like that bit too much, because that sounds very similar to the Riddler, um, not so much the Penguin. Um... The Penguin says that he's going to go legitimate for uh, once he gets out of prison, but that lasted for about two pages, so I thought that was rather pointless. Uh, we get to see that the Penguin's nature is quite dirty. Um, he's he's uh, quite a dirty little character, wants to get any profit that he can, and he's also a bit of a fantasist, but we still don't really get to see this brilliance that everyone seems to be mentioning. I've not The Penguin's never impressed me as a brilliant villain. So this felt more like the old-fashioned 60s Penguin than the modern gangster Penguin we have nowadays. Uh, minus a little bit of the silliness, but it's a strange, I think almost a transition from one to the other here. We get a bit of both. And I thought the Penguin's reasoning was a little bit weak. So he did all this to, ups to you know, ruin a childhood friend who he hadn't spoken to for about 20 or 30 years. That was a bit surprising. And the uh, lady who decided to try and uh, start going out with him, I really didn't care about her at all. She's just a bit of a sellout, really. The art was interesting because we had a cartoonish quality to the dream sequences and then a more serious tone for the main story. I thought that worked quite well. Uh, the story of uh, Penguin going straight, it's been done many times before, and I didn't feel this had much, much fresh to offer here, and it was a bit of a disappointment. So it's not one of the better ones in terms of story or mystery, and didn't really give us a lot to to learn about the penguin. Really, um, he, he's a villain who seems to have those simple uh, character traits, and I don't think many writers have really been able to pick that up and run with it and make him a bit more 
interesting, as, as has been done with many other villains. But I think the Penguin's always got just simple characteristics which haven't really been developed very much. So all in all, I thought this was quite an average one-off book, and I'll be giving it three out of five Batarangs. But I intend to stick to the issues. Now, what are the issues? There is only one. Batman. Who is he? Who is this acrobatic clown who somersaults around Gotham City in a, <laughs> a ridiculous costume? I suggest that behind that mask, Batman is in reality a dangerous criminal. Why else does he wear a mask? Why else does he conceal his past? Would you think about that a moment, my friends? So that was um, Penguin Triumphant, as you can tell wasn't a particularly special one. And next time we're going to be looking at um, a story arc called Batman Spoiler. And this was covered in Detective Comics number 647 through 649. And it should uh, give us an insight into Spoiler, her introduction, and hopefully get help us learn a bit more about Stephanie Brown as she enters the Batman universe fray. So look forward to that story next time. I've been Nick, and now I'll send you back to Dustin and the guys. See ya. All right, so that's Bat Books for Beginners. Make sure you're picking up the next issues for the next episode. All right, so our discussion for this episode is, spins off of uh, an article that Josh wrote on the website called Trimming the Batman Line. Now, essentially, we have about 12 series currently that deal with Batman as the main protagonist or the character that the main protagonist is based off of or related to directly. So that would include Detective Comics, Batman, Superman, Batman, Batman and Robin, Batman the Dark Knight, Batman Incorporated, Gotham City Sirens, Red Robin, Batgirl, Birds of Prey, Batman Beyond. And for the purposes for this discussion, we're also going to include Batwoman just because her series is eventually going to come out whenever that will be. But uh, we know that series is existing as well. So 12 series for that. On top of that, uh, there's... There's a number of other series that you could pick up as well and still find some of these characters from these books in as well, including Teen Titans, Justice League of America, occasionally a number of different other DC series like Supergirl, Power Girl, for instance, have had a number of appearances either by Batman, Batgirl, or Damien. Secret Six could be considered one as well with Bane and some of the other B-list characters from Batman's Rogues Gallery playing major roles in that series. Um, you could go even go further and say, well, let's include all of the other Batman books, including the upcoming Batman Arkham Asylum. We have the all-new Batman Brave and the Bold. We have Young Justice. So all the media incarnations of Batman as well. But then on top of that, we also have miniseries and one-shots that come up periodically as well. So needless to say, there's a ton of Batman stuff. So essentially, we're going to go through just the 12 and... Josh is going to lead this discussion because this was based off of his article that he wrote. And essentially what we're going to do is give our opinions of what should be cut and what should be continue to be published. So I'm going to throw it over to Josh and he's going to tell us uh, about these series. Yeah, there's a lot of... We talked about redundancy in the Batman, you know, ink thing. And there is a lot of redundancy in these books. You know, it's in the 90s. It used to just be like a character would have one book and if they were really popular they might have two books like... 
Batman had Batman and Detective Comics, Superman had Superman and Action Comics for a while, you know, and over at Marvel, most of the characters, you know, had one title as well, and occasionally some of them would have two, or like someone from a team book would have two, but I want to say it was around the 80s where it really got out of control, and in the 90s too, the Batman line, you know, which is one of my favorite eras, it got really big because like every single sidekick wound up getting their own series, which was all well and fine, but then all of a sudden Batman had like four or five series on his own, and do we really, as awesome as it is getting a different Batman book each week, or even multiple ones, do we really need all of them? Um, currently, it's a list of what we have. There's Detective Comics, and I guess the purpose of this is, you know, just pretend that you're an editor at DC, and you're being told that, you know, for the amount, for the, all the books that you're putting out, they're not making enough sales, and there's just too many, you know, to produce in the Batman line, so you need to cut some books and fire some people. What do you choose to cut? That's kind of the point of view that I took with this article, and what I said about Detective Comics was, you know, no matter what happens, Detective Comics, it's the original title. It's where Batman first appeared. It's what the DC and DC Comics stands for. It was almost canceled in the 70s because of poor sales, and Batman Family was doing so good. And they did the smart thing. They realized that, hey, wait a minute, Detective Comics is actually a very important title, so let's just move the creative team and the format from Batman Family over to Detective Comics. And right now, Detective Comics is doing good with Scott Snyder. But even if, like, the series went downhill in a big way, I would just say, no matter what happens, it's a title that's too important to lose and needs to be kept around. So I put publish as the verdict. Detective Comics, I have to agree. Detective Comics has been around for a really long time. It's obviously the original book that Batman appeared in. Keep this book around. Specifically in times like we had last year late summer, early fall, with the uh, David Hines, Scott McDaniel story of imposters. Those stories like that don't belong in Detective Comics. Detective Comics should be one of the flagship titles. It doesn't matter if you've got Batman and Robin and Batman Incorporated or all these other books that are playing the main parts of the overall story arc of what's going on. Detective Comics should be one of the flagship titles in the Batman line, which means... You should always have a really good team on the book, and you should be producing good stories every month. That should be the goal, always. So, again, I would say publish as well. I would third to publish it. I mean, Detective Comics, it's... I don't think you should cancel a title that has such a long-standing history. I mean, it's been around since, like... It's almost within a couple of decades. It'll be 100, 100 years old. And not only does DC stand for Detective Comics, really, but it's too iconic of a title to really cancel at all. I mean, this is probably one of the only titles besides Action that is still being published to this day that, that, is, that isn't just a title book. I mean, I think it goes without saying. And I really wish that um, more often than not, it would take the, the standpoint that Paul Dini took when he first got on the title that to make it Batman doing detective stuff. I thought that was a really good way to, to approach the title. And so I agree with Justin that you shouldn't have these, these uh, non-sequitur ancillary titles, or uh, not titles, but stories like the David Hine Joker, Joker people storyline. Just keep it simple, but always make it worth it. So I agree to keep it as well. All right, and that brings us to uh, the title that is simply known as Batman. And it doesn't it's not as important as the Hick of Comics, but... It has a lot of history and prestige of its own. It, you know, that's the book that had the first appearance of many characters, including the Joker and Catwoman. 
I'm not liking what you know what's currently going on with the book, but again, it's like the type of comics, you know, but to a lesser extent, where I think it's important. And I would just say, take the creative team from one of the other series, you know, that's like doing some good stuff, and move them over to there, or just get some new blood. So I would say publish, but change the creative teams. For Batman, again, this is the other flagship of the Batman titles. No matter what, Detective Comics and Batman should, in my opinion, continue to be published, but also should be producing the quality stories within the Batman line. That's That should be the goal of these two series. With Batman, I think it's important, for, and something I forgot to mention with Detective if you have exclusive writers and artists, specifically to DC Comics, you should be having those exclusive people working on the flagship titles of not just Batman, but any line. With Superman, they should be working on action comics. With uh, Wonder Woman, obviously they should work on Wonder Woman. Flash, Flash, Green Lantern, Green Lantern. But that that should be the goal. Get the exclusive people to work the flagship, not the sub-series of the ultimate line, like, for instance, Batman Robin, Batman Incorporated. Get them to write stories for the main flagship titles. That should be the most important thing. Because no matter what, those flagship titles have been around much longer and will probably be around a lot longer past these other series and you know these sub series that are around for you know twenty something issues and then get canned. So that should be the main goal. So currently with Batman, I think they should make it so that they have a creative team that's very consistent. You know, Snyder doesn't have a problem getting books out. If he has to have two artists to get his stories out, that's what they should do in Batman too. They shouldn't be switching it up and telling a thousand different stories or, you know, getting these one-off issues here and there that don't have anything to do with the overall story. That's not what should be happening. So publish, but again, yeah, I agree with Josh. Change the creative teams and keep it to a uh, specific team. And I would agree as well. I mean, just with Detective Batman's a long-running title, but not only that, but that's the title of the character. I mean, it's, it's synonymous, and you should treat that with as much... You should do it with as much respect. I mean, I don't... Really, <laughs> I mean, what's what's Grant Morrison doing on a title called Batman Inc. Telling who this the, like like that's supposed to be like the main title we're following, and that's not Batman. There's something wrong with that, and really, the fact that Batman has been so kind of like waylaid since uh, Morrison's been off the title, and then when you remember before that, before Morrison came on, the the frequency of like the writers, the the creative change was so rapid, and then Morrison was on the title for a couple of years, and it was really it was really really good. I wish they would go back to that. I think, in my opinion, flagship titles and title characters like that should have a definitive creative team that should stay on for a while. And if not, regularly switch them out, but only after a certain amount of time, like like every year or so. So I would say keep as well. But, you know, play with the creative teams a little bit. And that takes us to Superman Batman. And when this thing came out, this was like the summer blockbuster, you know, comic that we got 12 months a year. Like, this was very important. Like, arc number one, that brought down the presidency of Lex Luthor. Arc number two was the introduction of Supergirl. Like, this stuff, it wasn't just like an an ancillary team-up book that had no consequences. Like, no, like, stuff that happened in here had ramifications not only on Superman and Batman's books, but on the entire DC universe. And it was awesome. And then it wasn't anymore. And then it was kept around. And every issue and every recent story arc, it's just felt like I can't remember a really breathtaking storyline that, like, has stayed with me in the last few years. 
Batman and Superman teaming up, like, you know, back in the 60s, it was really cool to have a book where they were teaming up, you know, the world's finest stuff, like, because it was a really novel, like, concept, you know, and, like, oh, Batman and Superman together in one book, this is so cool. But it's the year 2011. Do we really need a Batman and Superman team-up book? Do we really need another world's finest? Right now, I don't think we do. And this book hasn't been performing its duties for a while. I'm honestly surprised it hasn't been cut. When I did the research for this article... Uh, for some reason, I thought in the back of my head that this had already been, like, announced for cancellation. Superman and Batman started out as a great series. I think ever since we got past the Jeff Loeb stuff, it, it really just kind of went downhill. Turned into more of, uh, instead of the summer blockbuster, like Josh described it, into reprints of World's Finest Stories. And to tell you the truth, it just it's not really worth it. The problem with this is that the stories are just being retold in a more modern sense, but a lot of them are stories that were already presented in World's Finest years ago. And they're not good stories. On top of that, Batman is almost, I'd probably say like 90% of the time, a supporting character to Superman. And I get that, you know, Batman has a thousand books, and a lot of times when there's a book that is kind of like on the borderline between Batman and another character tends to go towards the other character because they're trying to give the other character a little bit more exposure than Batman. I get that. But then don't call it Superman-Batman. Call it Superman with Batman or something stupid like that. Or, better <laughs> idea, just cancel the series. And again, I agree. What, what really lost me with the book was the fact, the fact that it was like dipping in and out of continuity. That really showed that the, that the care and... Uh, interest and effort in the series was lost because if you're putting out a book that's not in continuity i mean that can be fun but it has to be really out there and it wasn't in continuity because this because of any big thing it was in continuity just to not mess with the current storylines and i thought that was very disingenuous i mean there have been a couple of storylines that i really liked that have been in the post jeff Loeb era i really like the one where uh superman and batman switch uh powers I like the one with like little uh, versions of uh, Superman, and Batman, and this DC superheroes, but those stories are so far and few in between that the series just isn't worth it to wait around every five years for a, a good story. And again, Batman and Superman, Batman, this this title seems like a Superman title with with Batman chumming around, and Batman should never just chum around with the character unless it's Batman the Brave and the Bold. Even then, that's not really serious because it's a cartoon. So this title needs to be cut. Because even if it was made worthwhile again, I think it's far too late, and I think that the, the series in this day and age doesn't really deserve a place. Batman and Robin, you know, it, it's kind of like another Superman-Batman type place, but when it first came out, it was totally awesome, and it was the vehicle that Grant Mount Morrison used to tell the next chapter of his grand Batman story. Then Grant Morrison finished that chapter, left the book, and said, all right, guys, this is all yours now. I'm moving on to Batman, Inc. And now the book's there, and everyone else is kind of left to pick up the pieces, you know. And this was a very best-selling series, you know, and the title had a lot of, you know, uh, hype around it and everything. Now there's some, you know, the creative teams have already been shuffled around more than once, which is very, very worrisome. In order for this title to keep on, you know, surviving, it needs a consistent direction, and it needs to have a purpose. You know, what stories can this book tell that can't be told in Batman or Detective Comics? Like, is there really a story that's so important that, like, it can only be told in a title called Batman and Robin? I honestly don't think that there is. And, you know, it served its purpose with Grant Morrison. Grant's gone. 
they can't even keep a consistent creative team, so I would say cancel. As far as Batman and Robin goes, this series proved a point when they were doing Batman and Robin. It was introducing the whole idea of Dick Grayson teaming with Damian Wayne while Bruce Wayne was stuck in time and trying to make his way back to the present time. And it was basically exploring the relationship between the two people and their dynamic, or every pun aside, the dynamic duo of Batman and Robin. And it worked well. The thing is, they're clearly still trying to go on that fact with Batman and Robin, but the problem is that... For the most part, Morrison had a definitive purpose with the story that he was telling. Ever since Morrison left the series, it doesn't have a purpose. The Paul Cornell story was clearly a fill-in story because that's what he said it was. And that's what it was intended to be because we were waiting for Peter Tomasi and Patrick Gleason. They come on, they tell a story, and then they're off. Now we're getting another story arc by Judd Winnick and Gillian March. So it's like... What is the point of having every three issues another story arc? We've had that in the past with a number of other series, and it just is is pointless. Unless it's adding something to the overall story that's following the continuity, I don't think it's necessary. And if it is, bring the team that's doing something like that to one of the flagship titles. I think it's a pointless to keep this series going if it's not serving any other purpose than just to tell three-issue story arcs of something to do with Batman. So, get rid of it, please. I would actually say, if you were to get a specific focus on the book, then it was, it's worth publishing, because you have Batman, which is going to focus on you know the adventures of Batman, and then Detective Comics, which right now is either focusing on just Dick Grayson or just other certain creepy niche stories. I think Batman and Robin works as a title because... You can specifically focus on the idea of Batman and Robin working as a team. And since it is this new team of Dick Grayson and Damian Wayne working together, you can explore it and develop those those characters further that way. I mean, where else would you develop Damian Wayne in a title? Because every, every other writer has their own ideas for what they want to do with the story. I think that you could develop his character and how he relates to Batman and how Dick relates to fighting with a partner. In this title, so I think if you could just focus on that and make that that focus on the point of that series, it be it will be worth publishing. So, um, and even if the 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 cape and the cowl between Batman and Robin change again, whether it's Bruce and Tim again, <laughs> God willing, or or somebody else, you can still explore that relationship that way and tell other stories in other titles. So I would actually say to publish it as long as you focus and, and set your priorities right. Well, one thing I have to say on that is. I'm not opposed to keeping the title around if it has a purpose. The f- thing is, it just doesn't feel like it has a purpose. But you bring up a good point about the, you know, where else can we explore Damien as a character. And, you know, as much as we're talking about trimming the bat line, there's a couple series that I think would be interesting if added, but it would have to be added to have a specific creative team to make it work. But to see a Robin series specifically dealing with Damien, and it could still have him interacting with Batman, but... You know, the reality is Robin's going to be going out on his own. That's That was the whole idea of the other Robin series with Tim Drake in the 90s. It was the whole idea behind that. So clearly, Damian Wayne is probably going to be going out on his own and, you know, patrolling crime. And there's, there's an element of Damian Wayne that could be very interesting. That could be interesting. I don't think he necessarily has to be with Dick Grayson all the time. It almost seems like by pairing him with Dick Grayson all the time, it's not really giving him the chance to really mature as a character because 
Every time you see Damian Wayne, he's teamed with somebody else instead of on his own. And that's one of the things I think Tim Drake did so well was not only was he teamed with Batman in Batman and Detective Comics, but he also had his own series where he explored his life, his story, and also built his own rogues gallery as well. I'll give you that, but you know, when you say where else can you focus on the dynamic duel of Damian and Dick, I'd say in Batman and Detective. I mean, you know, it, Bruce and Dick were the dynamic duo for many decades, and writers had no problems focusing on them as a dynamic duo in Batman and Detective at the time. Well, that's true. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say you're wrong on that, but at the same time. The writers seem to have their own stories that just don't involve developing personal relationships. Whereas Batman and Robin, the very title of that seems sort of like uh, exposit that that would be the idea of the book. You know, I mean, what else would Batman and Robin be about? Fighting, them fighting kooky villains. That's sort of like what Batman's about right now. So I think that if you were to give it a purpose, give it a very simple purpose, as opposed to one. I agree, it could be told in other titles, but. If we're saying like, would, would, if if Batman and Robin is worth keeping being kept around for any reason, it, it, if it's worth keeping kept around, it needs to be kept around for a reason, and to explore the relationship of the dynamic duo like it was when Morrison was on there, I think that that would be worth keeping around just for that reason. All right, Dark Knight. I was a little back and forth on this one because what I kind of asked myself when I was in this mindset is, what does this book have? Like, what stories are they telling in this book that can't be told in any other book? And right now, this is the only Batman title where it's about Bruce Wayne being Batman in Gotham City. You know, the other title that, you know, has Bruce headline as Batman is Batman Inc., but it's basically him and James Bond adventures around the world doing stuff that nobody has any idea what's going on. And if you're a Bruce Wayne as Batman fan and you want to read a Batman story without, you know, being confused and you only have to read it once the whole way through, this currently is the book for you. But notice I say currently. You know, what's going to happen in a year or two down the line where, you know, Finch leaves or this title gets in the direction or whatever the status quo is if Batman Inc. winds up changing? I think that this title is also convenient for DC right now because with all the hype going around from Christopher Nolan, they probably really enjoy having a title that has a Dark Knight plastered on the cover. On the one hand, though, you know, I've been very hot and cold with some of the stuff, you know, within the pages and... Even the good stuff, that can be told in Batman or Detective. And I will not keep a, the title around just because, you know, of the current status quo. Because, as we have all seen, status quo is kind of an oxymoron at this point. Because it doesn't stay static. So I would say cancel. And, you know, if David Finch is, you know, doing a good job, move him over to one of the other titles. With David Finch, it goes back to what I said before. You know, he's an exclusive artist for DC currently. I'm having a problem with DC getting these exclusive artists and saying, okay, so you want to tell a story, you're not a writer, you're an artist, we'll give you a shot at telling the story, but at the same time, because you're writing the story, your art's going to take a hit. We've seen this with a number of different artists that have been crossing over into the writing element. Some of them have been good stories, some of them have been bad stories. But the important thing is that these people came on as artists, artists, not writers, so their art should be the number one focus when they're doing anything related to these books. If they're not doing art, we're not getting the full potential of why DC hired them and signed an exclusive contract with them in the first place. So with David Finch, 
move him to a book like Batman or Detective Comics. And if he wants to tell a story like he's telling in Batman the Dark Knight, that's fine. But let him tell it in a miniseries that he completely finishes and gets released when it's complete instead of doing what they're doing now, which is we get one issue every two months, if we're lucky, and then... Meanwhile, what are we getting from David Finch? Nothing. So DC is basically has this exclusive artist that they're paying to be exclusive so that he can put out one book every two months. And let's let's not forget that before he did uh, Batman the Dark Knight, he didn't do anything but covers for Brightest Day. So, you know, what does that say about his art? Yes, it must be very detailed. And he must take a lot of time on his art. But clearly, if he can't get things done on schedule, that's a problem and he shouldn't be doing a series that solely relates to him himself. So, one, the only way you can save this series is by either getting a fill-in artist or fill-in writer. It'd be better to get a writer just because the whole point of him doing what he's doing is for his art, like I said. So, get a writer to help him so that he can get his things done because clearly he's having a problem getting the stuff done on time. If they got a fill-in artist, it would be a waste and then they should just cancel this series because... If it ultimately comes down to he just can't get his art done in time and they need to get a fill-in artist to, you know, help him with the art that he's supposed to be doing for this series, then the series shouldn't be happening. And if he wants to tell a story, then tell it in a mini-series form that's not supposed to be 12 issues and get it completely done if you're having that big of a problem getting all the stuff done because it's a little ridiculous. So I'm just going to say flat-out cancel this. Move him to a different series like Batman or Detective Comics. But if he can't get his art done in time, then why even bother? Yeah, there's no point to the series other than being David Finch's little playground to play with. He's already shown that, you know, as much as, he, as he's built writer and artist, half the stuff he takes from is from the movies anyway. So, not saying it's horrible, but I'd rather see him just as an artist on Batman, not just a writer. So, I mean, it's Batman being Batman. That's kind of cool. But as another title, it's not needed whatsoever so i would say cancel it that brings us to batman incorporated obviously as it stands right now any of there would be a fool to pull this title because all eyes are on it it's you know grant morrison's baby where he's telling his story which yeah maybe you could tell it in batman but right now you know like i said this grand story you know which what we've been telling for about five years now this is where it's happening, and as long as Batman Inc. is existing as a concept, we should have a title to elaborate on the grander scheme of it. Like, you know, a title that just doesn't have to be about Batman Bruce Wayne, but about, like, you know, how does this Batman Incorporated concept work? Who are the people in it? You know, almost like a team book or a book about the organization itself. If the story winds down or Morrison leaves or, you know, leaves this book like he did Batman and Robin and say, for the rest of my story, read Planet Batman. Uh, you know, then, you know, go ahead and cancel it, you know, if things are different. But right now, things aren't different. This is where we are right now, so I'd say keep this title, publish. I would agree. Keep this title and publish it. And I, I am not opposed to having another series if they're telling an overarching story that affects all the different series within the Batman line. I'm okay with there being one additional series that's telling the pivotal story specifically for this specific storyline that's happening that's affecting all of the series in the Batman line. Batman Incorporated makes sense. 
the Batman and Robin one, it didn't really make sense at the time. He could have told those stories in the pages of Batman or Detective Comics. Probably more so Batman than Detective Comics. But Batman Incorporated makes sense because it's something that's too big to be in Batman or Detective Comics. And when I say too big, but I what I mean is there should be an extra series just for this storyline because it's something that's happening that... I mean, how do you really take... Batman recruiting a bunch of Batmen from around the world and figure out a way to stick it in Batman or Detective Comics. Stick it in Detective Comics, you're losing the detective stories. Stick it in Batman, well, that doesn't make sense because it's Batmen, not Batman. So I'm okay with Batman Incorporated, and I'd be okay in the future if they were doing something that was going to span years to create a, a series of for a... I guess a maxi series, you know, that would make sense for the specific story. Um, I'm not really, I'm not really behind the, the concept of the series. So there is some bias, but, um, I suppose for what it's, what it's the purpose is and what it's doing, you should keep it. I mean, I would rather see this in its own separate title than in detective or Batman. I really would. So I was, I would say keep it as, as long as it has a clear purpose and is getting the job done. Keep it. Gotham City Sirens, oh boy, having a ball here, and bringing my own personal bias into this, yes, you know, I enjoyed the early issues of this series, and other people did, and other people on this podcast, and message boards, and friends of mine, they all hated them, I was like, oh, but, you know, this is great, you know, this issue, I've come around to their line of thinking now, it's gotten ridiculous, even before Paul Dini officially left, he would do, like, a storyline, and then leave in the middle of the storyline. So people would do, like, filler issues to pad the storyline out so Paul Dini could come up and finish it. Like, Poison Ivy working at Star Labs. There was, like, two issues where, like, she was trapped inside the containment unit, you know, so things can go back to where they were when Paul Dini came back. It's just gotten ridiculous. The plot, there's no clear direction. It's just, you know, a bunch of non-sequiturs. Like, this month, Selena and Harley are looking to see, you know, what what was it, missing dogs in the neighborhood or something? What is, like, as mundane as that. Like, you know, they were looking for, like, missing dogs in the neighborhood. And then another issue is, you know, what's going to happen on Harley's new job? And, oh, wait, space aliens. And then Talia thinks that Selena shouldn't know who Batman is. It's just non-sequiturs in the lives of these three girls. It's not really about them as a team. Nobody know, has known what to do with this title since Paul Dini left. And when we do get a storyline like we do with Harley trying to kill a Joker, it's overly padded and it comes out of nowhere. And again, you know, from an editorial standpoint, there is something unique going on in this title, but it's not working. This title isn't needed. It's not delivering. Time to cut their losses and move on. My verdict is cancel. Gotham City Sirens, in my opinion, I never really saw a reason for this book to begin with, ever. I... I didn't really enjoy when Paul Dini was on the book. I thought the concept was interesting, but I thought the concept of Streets of Gotham was more interesting. But at the time, I didn't realize it was just the opportunity for Paul Dini to continue his hush story, and that was it. Sirens, I I thought, was a giant waste of time from the very beginning. You know, we've described it as a female sitcom with three female roommates living under one roof, and it's been a giant waste of time, complete waste of time. And you can tell that they don't even know what to do with the series because, you know, 
yeah, okay, fine, Genie was laid down a bunch of issues and they had to do these fill-in stories, but then Genie gets off and Peter Calloway comes on, they give the guy, you know, a couple months to tell a story, but then they end up chopping a story that they're telling apart so they can do a tie-in to a crossover that served no purpose. It's just a giant waste of time. They should have canceled this after, like, issue five. The only way this works for me is if it is a Catwoman title with Harley and, and Ivy serving some sort of purpose towards her. Because that's that's what the best issues have the, have been. But uh, if really, if Paul Dini's not writing this book, then there's, it doesn't need to be here. Because Paul Dini is a writer who really takes a shine in these characters and who writes them the best. And the combination of these characters, I thought that um, he would... Again, I'm not read the earlier issues, but I, I'm under the assumption that he really would write them the best with the best chemistry. Now that he's gone for whatever reason, I, mean, I suppose it's Satana, it's just floundering, and, it, and it's just there for no reason, and it really doesn't need to exist. I mean, we can learn about Harley and Ivy and other titles, fighting Batman preferably. If you want Catwoman to have a title, give Catwoman a title. So, I, again, it, it falls under the black and white circumstance. If, if it has no purpose, cancel it. Now to Red Robin, which Tim Drake, he has a very, very loyal following, and he has been in publication as a solo character in his own book continuously since the mid-90s. I mean, and even before that, he had, you know, a few successful miniseries. I mean, so this guy's got a fan base. There's people that read Tim Drake books that, you know, don't read the, you know, Bruce Wayne is Batman or Dick Grayson is Batman books. So he's a very popular character in his own right. So I'd say keep the book because there is a point to it. You know, as long as people care about this character, stories are good, which, mm, you know, there's uh, the internet stuff hasn't been as good. But, you know, I like Fabian and, like, and I like Fabian writing Tim Drake. So I say publish. Yeah, I would agree. Publish Tim Drake as long as the fans are still out there. There's some changes that they can make to make the stories flow more more smooth. But uh, I think the, the main thing that this is probably the biggest problem, and some people may, might say that this series may not be worth it, is because it really doesn't seem like what's going on in, in Red Robin is really having a, a giant effect on what's going on. In one sense, it's it's very similar to what, we, what we've seen in the past in the Robin series uh, with Tim Drake, how the stories don't really affect what's going on, you know, in Batman or in Detective Comics. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but the problem is there's you're really lacking the effect. We see Batman Incorporated popping up in a number of different ways in all these other titles, but in my opinion, I think it's lacking inside of Red Robin, and I think that's that's the only issue. But I, I'd say keep it. I would say keep it at all costs. Even if the, the, if the stories are not what we prefer them to be 100% of the time. Um, Tim Drake has a definite purpose. He's proved it ever since he first appeared. And the fact that he's still alive shows that he definitely has his fan base. And even if he's not directly involved in Batman Inc., or, or he is, but he's sort of off to the side with that, that makes the focus on him that much more concentrated. So I'd say definitely keep it. I mean, it's Tim Drake. I mean, you always want to know what what he's doing, and I think he's more than earned his spot to be, have a title. With Batgirl, I'll admit that I'm not going into this as objectively as I could be because 
I've made it no secret on the podcast that I am a big fan of this book, and I like what this book is doing. I think that this book is unique from the other Batman books because not only does it, and I'm going to sound redundant here if you've listened to the other episodes, but focus on the Stephanie Brown, you know, superheroing stuff, but we get to see her at college and her with her mom, and I really think that there is no other Bat book like that, and... Because the stories of Stephanie Brown as Batgirl, that can only be told in the Batgirl title. No, it's it's spotlighting character, so I don't feel that the title's redundant, and I'm enjoying it, so I say publish. Yeah, Batgirl is one of those unique stories where, you know, I, I said this before when we were talking about Red Robin, I'm okay with the, the supporting characters of the Bat family having their own titles as long as they're telling worthwhile stories. For the most part, they, they have been, and they continue to do that. Uh, Batgirl is no exception. With Batgirl, we're not only you know seeing the adventures of Batgirl, but we're also diving a little bit more into Stephanie Brown, which, okay, Stephanie Brown appeared very regularly in the uh, pages of Robin's mini, uh, Robin series in the 90s and the, I guess the last 10 years, but it's good to know a little bit more about the character and seeing her personal life. No, it's something that we seem to lack a lot of times with a lot of the different Bat books. We saw it a lot during Tim Drake's uh, run in his Robin series, but for the most part, we don't really see that very often. So I say publish it. I would agree, especially that Stephanie's book seems to be the one book that is the definite breather in all the Bat books right now. It's not so much that it's not continuity-heavy, it's that it's telling a straight-up story. It's lighthearted and fun without being too ridiculous most of the time. And Stephanie has proven to be a really good character. I mean, she stayed in the Bat books, uh, barring war games, and even then that was sort of taken aback. So uh, she's earned her place. Um, the stories are very consistent. Brian Miller is doing a great job. And it's just a fun book. There's no reason why this book needs to be canceled, and so I say keep it. All right, now, Birds of Prey. This is one of those things where could it even be considered part of the Batman line? And I, I think right now, it, it, you know, as opposed to the original run where they actually did, you know, separate, there was even a point where the birds actually moved out of Gotham and their base became mobile. But at different points of Volume 1, the only reason why it was considered, you know, a Batman book was because Barbara was on the team. You know, it wasn't her fighting Two-Face and the Joker, although the Joker did show up uh, at two points in Volume 1. You know, it was her doing her own things, and some of the, most of the time it was away from Gotham. She was just in the clock tower, but towards the end they brought in Huntress, and Volume 2, I actually consider it more of a DC Universe book, and I'm not liking where the book is right now, but I think Oracle... And her uh, team of operatives, you know, when they're done right and when she's not pretending to be dead, they do have a definitive place in the DC universe. And I don't feel that it's diluting the Batman franchise because, again, I feel it's kind of like when Dick Grayson was leading the Titans in the 80s. I didn't feel that Titans was a Batman book. He wasn't doing Batman stuff. He wasn't in Gotham, you know, fighting Two-Face, you know, to keep on going back to that for some reason. Watch that be the next issue. So I say, I say, go ahead, publish this one. Yeah, Birds of Prey probably is more so a DC Universe book, just be, especially recently with this new volume, uh, adding Hawk and Dove into the team as well. And we've seen a number of characters. Really, the, the the Batman core members would consist of really Huntress and Barbara Gordon. 
So, yeah, it is one of those books where it's like, eh, do we really consider this a Batman book? But I, I guess the, the thing that really, for me, makes it a Batman book is the fact that we see this book, book we see events from this book play out in the Batman universe. You know, we, there's Brightest Day going on, or, you know, upcoming, there's Flashpoint, even though I don't think Flashpoint really affect current DC universe. I think it will affect, you know, the miniseries and that kind of stuff, but I don't think it's going to affect the current continuity for at least now. But I think the important thing is, we see events that happen in Birds of Prey happen in the Batman books. There's a coexisting, I guess, ecosystem when it comes to the Batman universe, and they're part of it. So, in my mind, it is considered it, even though they do deal a little bit more with the overall DC universe. So, again, I'm okay with this one, especially because I'd like to see Barbara Gordon have uh, a book. So, if they ever got rid of the Birds of Prey, it'd be interesting just to see, from Barbara's perspective, what's going on and how she helps out in the Bad Family to publish it. No, I don't like this book. Um, for and which isn't a secret if you listen to this podcast, but that being said, this book does have a definite place in the uh, the Bat Family canon, and it's not just because it it shows us what Barbara Gordon is doing from month to month. It shows what several several key characters in the DC universe are doing. I mean, Black Canary is a long time classic DC character. I think Huntress, for all my problems with her character, has earned a definite place. I mean, she was a both she and Oracle and Black Canary were Justice League members. Or, or were at one point. I do wish it was being written better, or at least I was liking the books more. But I think that whether they are an official Bat book or not, I believe that their own adventures have earned a spot to be published, essentially. So I don't see a reason why they should be canceled, other than the fact that it just it's just getting critically panned. And even then, you could always switch it writers. No offense to Gail Simone. Oh, Batwoman. Let's go back to 2006. This book was first announced. It's 2011. How many issues have been out? We've gotten an issue zero. It's been five years, and this thing has been in limbo, and they and and even now, you know, with issue one directly in our sights, they keep on delaying it and delaying it and delaying it. And honestly, you know, even J. H. Williams the third the guy who's currently attached to this project, one of the many people that's been attached to this project since 2006, he says that, you know, he, that, that, that they're going to churn these out quickly, you know, because they have them stockpiled. But honestly, with issue one being delayed this much, who's to say that when we finally see issue one, it's not going to be for the six months before we see issue two. This has been going on for too long. She's a new character. Built her up in books like Birds of Prey and everything else. This title isn't needed. What I put in the entry was nothing to cancel because it isn't even being published. So I'd say, and that's my answer here, you know, just cut your losses and move on before this thing winds up costing you more money. Because it costs money to advertise. Like, when they have those two-page Batwoman spreads and, like, those other books, that's advertising money. They could have been advertising something like Green Lantern or, you know – or Tiny Titans. No, they're advertising a book that's not even out. They need to stop putting their resources into this thing because they ain't getting a return. This is a, kind of a unique situation because as much as I would like to see this the series materialize in the form of an actual series that we can read and have in our hands, it's one of those things where, you know, I get that uh, Batwoman's gotten a lot of media attention. I get that J.H. Williams... 
art is amazing. But my problem with this is this character is 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 even though she's been around for quite some time, it doesn't really have, in my opinion, a huge following. Yes, people will read the book and people will enjoy the art. But if you're solely basing your series on someone's art or someone's storytelling and not the character, you're going to ultimately fail. And that's what I think is going to happen here because it's going to come to a point where they're going to start to get either behind or they're going to have to switch up creators and suddenly the book isn't going to become this amazing thing that everyone expected it to be because the amazing art that everyone was buying the book for originally is not going to be there. The other problem is... Yes, Batwoman, we saw a decent amount of her in Detective Comics while Bruce Wayne was lost in time. But the thing is, yes, those issues were good. But why were they good? That's what's important. Was it the storytelling? Was it the art? Because, Or was it the actual character? Because in my opinion, the story was, was kind of mediocre. Not an amazing story. And... The art, yes, was amazing. I'll agree, the the art was amazing, but I don't know that this that this this series is going to go down as a great series, you know, in the future of the DC universe, just because they're relying on nothing but Williams' art, which we know is not going to be in every single issue. So I would agree with Josh and say, let's just forget it and focus on building up Batwoman before we give our own series. It took years before Robin, Nightwing, any of these other characters in the Batman universe had their own series. So why are we making an exception for this person? Because she has an artist that's attached that does really good art? Useless, I think. This series is a problem um, because for the character's been around for almost half a decade now. And yet, despite those... Uh, Detective Comics issues, I still feel that she's too new to really warrant her own ongoing series. It's it's a personal thing, because I'm not sure that new characters should have series. They should be developed in other titles, and granted, Batwoman has. She was developed in 52, somewhat, and um, during Detective Comics, but even still, they've been hyping up her series ever since they came out with the character. She was supposed to come out with a series, correct? Initially? I know she was introduced in 52. Well, my point is that I think that this fanfare for this new character is totally unwarranted. Not because she's a terrible character. I think she's pretty cool. And I really enjoyed that Zero issue that I read of hers. But everyone's bending over backwards to get this character out. And it's just not happening. I mean, there's times where you need to really put up or shut up. And the fact that they've been going on for four or five years and then nothing's materialized with with their own series. And especially if it's not going to be directly tied to Batman. Because she's appearing here and there, but... How much interaction has she really had with Bruce Wayne? She she appeared with Dick Grayson once or twice in Batman and Robin, but she seems so ancillary, almost as if she's not a member of the Bat family. And that's not too bad of it, of its own thing. But if we're building all this on, on this on a new character essentially, then and it's not materializing, then why should we bother when there's so many other characters, legacy characters, and characters that have finally gotten their own book that need attention? And we're focusing on attention on someone who's not had anything. So if you're not going to publish it, don't even bother. The last book on our list, you know, and keep in mind, we're not even covering Batman, the Brave and the Bold. And, you know, these little miniseries like Odyssey and the Winding Guy or Part 2 whenever it comes out. All right, Batman Beyond 
you know, we're talking about, you know, what does this series offer that other series don't offer? What's redundant? What can only be told in this series that can't be told in other ones? Batman Beyond is actually a perfect example of that because it's not only unique in the Batman line, but it's unique in the DC line. It has its own continuity. I mean, and it might even be in its own, like, universe. You know, we don't know. It's like, is this the Earth-1? D- I almost said 616. Is this the one DC universe, or is this some alternate reality or a combination of the, you know, Paul Dini, Bruce Tim animated universe with the DC universe? We don't know, but it's it's branching into its own continuity and its own timeline. It's telling stories of a different Batman, which... Even with Batman Inc., you know, you're not going to get one book focused on a singular Batman that isn't Dick Grayson or Bruce Wayne right now. And I have my problems with this from the start, but I don't even mind Adam Beechin's writing right now. But, I mean, all that aside, this book is doing its purpose. It's doing its own unique thing. And best of all, it's getting reactions out of the fan base, you know, and it's, you know, people are liking it. It's getting good reviews. So, yeah, publish. Yeah, Batman Beyond, I, I'm i really enjoying this series because the truth of the matter is Batman's been around for 70 years. If I live another 70 years, comic books are still as popular as they are now, which I, I think they will be. But in 70 years, is Batman Bruce Wayne going to be 50, 60, 70 years old? Probably not. It's taken 70 years for about 10 to 15 years of his life to take place. So the reality is, we're probably never going to actually see Bruce Wayne as an elderly person. That being said, we're also probably not going to actually see the future of Gotham City, the future of Batman's rogues galleries, Batman's allies, none of this stuff. So Batman Beyond gives us a glimpse of what we will never see. I I always like the idea of Batman Beyond. Yes, there are some stupid things that deviate from the actual idea of Batman set in the future. But I'm okay with that, because I like seeing these little bits of, oh, this villain, this is what happened to this villain. This is what happened to Arkham Asylum. This is what happened to Tim Drake. I like those things, because the truth be told, we're never going to find those things out unless something like this occurs. So keep doing this book, and on top of that, keep doing what they've been doing with the uh, throwing the random bits from the current continuity into the Batman Beyond continuity because it's only making it more fresh to publish this. With this title, I think it's a mix of the situation between Birds of Prey and Batwoman because with Birds of Prey, Batman Beyond has a definite story to tell. It has a specific and distinct feel to it that is completely different from all the other Bat books and it's worth telling. And it also has a fan base with the uh, character based off the cartoon series. At the same time, with Batwoman, in my personal opinion, it's been kind of wandering in its own tone. It's been telling stories that have been connecting to the Batman Inc. stuff, and it seems like it's not really focusing on what it's promising. So I'm at, I'm at, I'm at a bit of a crossroads, so I will err on the side of publish because it does have a story to tell. As long as it has specific potential that shouldn't take too much effort to put out there, I think it's worth publishing. But at the same time, it's, all, it's, it's very early in, in the series, so... If it was like maybe 20 issues and it was still the way I, th- I think it is now, I would say cancel. But right now, I'd say publish. All right, so that's pretty much all of the main series. Like Josh said, there's a ton of other series, including the miniseries, Batman Odyssey, which is currently being delayed, Batman Widening Gear, which is currently being delayed. Uh, <laughs> on top of that, we have 
uh, Batman Arkham City, which is releasing the week, this week, the week that uh, this podcast is coming out. First issue for that, which is telling the story between Batman Arkham Asylum, the video game, and Batman Arkham City, the video game. So some people could be checking that out to see the events that uh, took place between the two games. We have Batman Gates of Gotham coming out later this month, which is going to run um, as a story telling a mystery story along with a bunch of Gotham history. So that's coming out. We also have the all-new Batman Brave and the Bold along with Young Justice. Both of those are focusing on the TV shows from Cartoon Network. So, I mean, there's a lot of other things going on. And that's not even including, like, Justice League of America... It's not including Secret Six, like we talked about before. So, I mean, there's a lot of series out there. And the reality is, Batman is... Even if DC didn't want to completely admit it, Batman is probably their number one character. Batman's the only one that has all these series, and a good chunk of them are very successful. So, in my mind, yes, they do oversaturate the market with Batman books. But... Also, you have to keep in mind, as long as they're doing a good job, I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with shelling out the money every single month for the issues, as long as it's worthwhile material. God knows I'm still shelling out the money for the bad stuff, too. So, Alright, so that is our discussion. As far as Bat Book delays, Joe posted up on the site on uh, April 26th that uh, Batman the Dark Knight, number 4 and 5, which were due out in July, have now been completely deleted, and we still know nothing about this. Um, also on the 26th of April, Batman Incorporated number 7 was delayed by another week from the 25th of May to the 1st of June. So that was what happened on the 26th, and then on May 3rd, there was really just a couple minor things. Uh, Batman and Robin number 23 was pushed back a week from May 11th to May 18th, but uh, I think that has a little to do with the fact that there was a little too many books coming out on May 11th. And we'll get to that in a minute. Um, we also have that uh, there was an artist change for issue number 25 of Batman and Robin from Gilliam March to Greg Tocchini. And that was pretty much all of the Batbook delays for the last two weeks. So not really anything super major. It's only a matter of time before we do see something pretty big. So... That's all of the stuff we have for Bat Book Delays. Let's go over what we'll be covering next time on the podcast. A lot of books next time. We've got Batgirl number 21, Batman Incorporated number 6, Batman Arkham City number 1, Birds of Prey number 12, Red Robin number 23, Batman number 710, Batman and Robin number 23, Batman Gates of Gotham number 1, and Superman Batman number 84. So, like I said, decent amount of books to cover next episode so keep watch for that in about two weeks so that's everything for this episode as always you can head over to the website to check out all the daily news related to comic books and all the other incarnations of batman including news related to the dark knight rises the batman film coming out next year in addition to that you can email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net you can join the forums i implore you if you join the forums please send us an email to let us know that you have actually joined the forums and uh, we will make sure to activate your account. Also, when you email us, it's very helpful if you include your screen name for the forums. We know there's a lot of people who get on there and 
sign up, but the reality is there's a thousand spammers. It helps us out instead of having to sift through the spammers and the real people. Just send us an email. It makes it a lot simpler. You can leave us a review on iTunes for this podcast or any of our other podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter for all of the updates to the website. So that's everything for this episode. This is Dustin. You got Josh. This is Donovan. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. See you guys next time. Bye-bye. Take care. Probably the hardest issue of Gotham 30 Sirens I've written. Oh my god, I can't go on. In terms of breaking in and... Yeah, see... This... God! We'll, we'll, we'll hit it up later, just finish it. Okay. Donovan Morgan Grant, I wish you luck on your mission. I was going to say, pray, pray for me. May you come oh. back alive. Okay. Uh. Batman Inc. number five. You should just preface your, your recap by saying you don't know what you're, what's going on. Oh, believe me, I will. Okay. <laughs> if I don't know what's going on in Red Robin half the time, I... <laughs> Batman Inc. number yeah, five. Yeah, we must stop the internet before it haunts us. <laughs> Batman says, so, you're renouncing your citizenship. All right, now it's my citizenship even more. Damn you, Bruce. Joe, is, Joe has decided to attend the royal wedding. He's covering it for the Batman universe. What the royal wedding has to do with Batman, I'm not sure, but... Uh, He's covering it. That's what's important. Because yeah. <laughs> everyone's covering it. Night and Squire are there. Yeah. <laughs> that, that'll be like the next issue of Night Like, fight, like, apparently if the royal wedding is, like, you know, consummated, like, you know, a demon will awaken from the depths of, you know, London and kill us all. The way that series was, it would have been awesome. <laughs> the only, the only way, the only way they could stop it is if they team up with Henry VIII and William Shakespeare <laughs> and the Doctor.